Well, hey there, Cove Church. My name is Brandon. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors on staff, and uh, it's, great, it's great to be with you. Great to have you if you're here for the first time. Uh, welcome. If you're back a second or third time, welcome back. We're in week two of kind of our buildup to our, our Lent season, and the title of my message today is Elements of Sacrifice, No Fine Print. Uh, be honest, how many of you actually read the fine print, kind of the legal mumbo jumbo at the bottom? of that document that you are signing your life away. Uh, Joy and I have a friend who's an attorney and her husband are always found saying this uh, often, the, the devil's in the details, you know, the devil's in the fine print. I read an article of a woman who actually read the fine print and it appears that it paid off. It comes from NPR in 2019. Nobody reads the fine print, but maybe they should, the article says. Georgia high school teacher Donalyn Andrews won a $10,000 reward after she closely read the terms and conditions that came with the travel insurance policy she per purchased for a trip to England. Square Mouth, a Florida insurance company, had inserted language promising a reward to the first person who emailed the company. They say this, we understand most customers don't actually read contracts or documentation when buying something, but we know the importance of doing so, the company said. We created the top secret pays to read campaign in an effort to highlight the importance of reading policy documentation from start to finish. Not every company is so generous to demonstrate the importance of reading the fine print. Many companies don't give, they take. The mischievous clauses tend to pop up from time to time, usually in cheeky England. NPR article on March 8, 2019, and the title of the article was this, when not reading the fine print can cost you your soul. The article goes on to describe companies, uh, Cove Church, who put crazy stuff in their terms and conditions. And I, in fact, they, they referenced Tumblr. And I, I couldn't believe that they were actually telling the truth. So I went and I grabbed the screenshot just to kind of produce the receipts. This is directly from Tumblr's uh, use of service. Under eligibility, it says this, you may not use the services, provide any information to Tumblr or otherwise submit personal information through the services, including, for example, a name, address, telephone number, email, if you are under the minimum age. The minimum age is 13, spelled out and in parentheses the number 13. For users in the European Union, 16, again spelled out and then the number 16. Uh, or the lower age your country has provided for you to consent to the processing of your personal data. You may only use the services if you can form a binding contract with Tumblr and are not legally prohibited from using the services. They're not done. They go on. They, says, they say this, you have to be the minimum age to use Tumblr. We're serious. It's a hard rule. And then they put in parentheses, but I'm like almost old enough, you plead. Nope, sorry. If you're not old enough, don't use Tumblr. Ask your parents for a PlayStation or try books. <laughs> I love that. Uh, go read a book. In its community guidelines documentation, it says uh, this under impersonation or non-genuine behavior. They say this, don't do things that may cause confusion between your blog and another person, organization, or company, like registering a deliberately confusing URL or pretending to be a celebrity or an elected official. Don't impersonate anyone, period. While you're free to ridicule, parody, or marvel at the alien beauty of Benedict Cumberbatch, you can't pretend that you're actually Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> the article goes on. In 2017, it would seem 22,000 
people who signed up for free public Wi-Fi inadvertently agreed to a thousand hours of community service, including cleaning toilets and relieving sewer blockages. A few years earlier, several Londoners agreed, presumably inadvertently, to give away their oldest child in exchange for Wi-Fi access. Before they could get on, users had to check a box agreeing to assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. Some of you are thinking that may not be a bad idea. Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. On April Fool's Day in 2010, the British retailer GameStation inserted a new clause into its license agreement with a checkbox already checked. If users didn't uncheck the box, they agreed to grant GameStation a non-transfer, and I'm quoting here, a non-transferable option to claim for now and forevermore your immortal soul. Brandon, what's the point? Point number one, read the fine print. Uh, Number two, one of the things I love about Jesus is there's very rarely, if ever, any fine print with Jesus. He just goes right after it. Our big idea for the series coming up is this. Uh, to give up something physical for the sake of something spiritual. As we enter the Lenten season, to give up something physical for the sake of something spiritual. And we do this in the kingdom life, church, do we not? As Christ followers. Uh, when we fast, we give up food for the sake of drawing closer to God. Uh, when, when we give to those in need, we give up something material uh, to look a little bit more like Jesus in his generosity. You know, when, when we go to pray, we give up maybe what would seem to us, and, and in reality, precious time, productivity, maybe sometimes some fun or pleasure, something that we, we would normally want to do to draw closer to God in relationship. So here's what I have for us today. I have one verse, and uh, it comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9 and verse 23. I would encourage you to open it up, uh, maybe your papal hard copy or, or, or your Bible on your phone, highlight it. We're just going to pull apart. Um, some of the words and some of the phrases. And he said to them all, this is Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Cove Church, where's the fine print in this? Jesus doesn't leave the crowd guessing. He leaves no room really for interpretation about what it means to be his true disciple, what it means to follow him, what it's gonna cost. He goes right after it. What's interesting is this same story, the same verse and same story appears in all three of the synoptics, Mark and Matthew and Luke. In fact, uh, Mark 8, 34, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, says this, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So we have a crowd, we have his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Likewise, in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then there's a couple of kind of auxiliary examples of this, a similar idea in vain. Matthew 10, 38, Jesus said this, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Similarly, in Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What's interesting, Cove Church, is that in all three of these locations, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the context really is the same. The buildup is, it's the same sequence. Jesus takes a straw poll. He predicts his, his rejection and, and death at the hands of the religious elite in the, in the Roman government. And then he says, he drops this bomb. Hey, listen, if you want to come after me, this is what it's going to cost you. The straw poll. Jesus uh, turns to his disciples 
you know, in this context and he says, listen, as we're out and we're traveling, who, who do people say that I am? As you're listening to people, you're having conversations, eating in their homes. They're trying to guess. They're trying to figure out who I am. Who, who do you, who are you hearing that, that they're saying I am? And the disciples kind of scratch their head and they're like, well, some say, you know, John the Baptist. Some say one of the old prophets kind of back from the dead, Jeremiah, Elijah. And then Jesus, okay, that's fine. But let me ask you a question. Who do you say that I am? And this is that famous portion of scripture where Peter, for all the things that Peter got wrong, he got this right. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And friends, listen, I, you may be here today uh, and you decided who Jesus is a long time ago, maybe decades ago. Some of you decided this maybe a week ago. Some of you may be listening, tuning in, and you you haven't decided who Jesus is. You're trying to figure that out. And I would say that Jesus turns to us through, through the same context. And he's asking us today, who do you say that I am? Not, not who, you know, the tabloids say, not who some famous preacher says that Jesus is, not what some book says, not what the most recent Netflix, you know, docuseries says uh, Jesus is, but who do you say Jesus is? And when we decide that for ourselves, I think we're better set up to understand and receive what Jesus says next. He says, listen, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. Um, but then I'll rise to new life. Friends, listen, I don't know about you, but I, I love Easter. I love to shout and sing and celebrate on Easter. I think we all probably do and we should. But the reality is that resurrection life goes through the desert. It goes through rejection and mistreatment and misunderstanding and confusion and pain and sacrifice. And many times we want Easter without the horrors of Friday, without the horrors and the pain of Good Friday. The Gospel of Luke. Brandon, why did you choose Luke over Matthew and Mark? Well, I could have used those other texts, but I love the Gospel of Luke. It's probably my favorite gospel for multiple reasons. Uh, Luke is a Gentile, really writing with a, a, a lens and a bent toward the Gentile, toward the outcast. I don't know if you've ever felt like an outcast. You'll love the gospel of Luke. It's, it's the gospel to the poor. It's the gospel that gives voice to women. Uh, it's the gospel of the kingdom, the, king, the language of the kingdom and the kingdom motif, if you will. In the gospel of Luke is... Huge, this idea of the kingdom. It's this, the kingdom of, uh, of now, but not yet. This, this kingdom that, that we live now, but we will also inherit in the future. So the elements of sacrifice, Cove Church, I think are built right into the text. Let's just pull it apart. Let's start with if and anyone. Let's start with the word if. Sometimes the biggest punch is in the smallest word. If speaks to a choice that you and I have. Jesus has never put anyone's arm up behind their back and forced them onto the team. And he's not going to do it today with you. You have a decision to make whether you're going to follow Jesus. You have a decision to make about who he is. You get to decide and you get to decide whether you're going to follow him. I love the word anyone. The, the, the invitation to come away with me from Jesus, to follow Jesus is open to anyone. It's the great whosoever of John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever, it's open to anyone at any time. And perhaps you're here today, 
you're listening in and contemplating the claims of Christ, who he was, wondering if you could be on the team, if Jesus really loves you or would forgive you, there's a grand invitation again to follow him, to come away with him. But buyer beware, friends, listen, buyer beware. The gift of grace, the gift of God, of salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. Brandon, well, which, which one is it? It's yes. The answer is yes. It's both. He goes on, he says, would come after me. If anyone would come after me, in the message it puts it this way, intends to come with me. The Passion Translation says it this way. If you desire to be my disciple, I think I like that one best. The essence here, what Jesus is saying, anyone that would come after me, you mean like just follow you around for the day? No, Jesus is after this idea of discipleship. And that word disciple means learner. It's to become a learner of Jesus. But friends, not just to learn about him, but to become more like him. And even that, so that has a goal. As we learn, as we follow Jesus, as we learn of Jesus, it's for a purpose. It's to look more like him. It's to be more like him. And even that has a goal. It's for the sake of other people. This is genuine discipleship. I have a friend, his name's Bob. I met Bob in, uh, in Vancouver, our hometown. He came to our church one time and I sat with him in follow-up to that kind of chance meeting where he visited our church. I met with him one time for coffee. I could probably pick Bob out of a lineup because of that one meeting, but I know very little else of Bob. This is four or five years ago. Every week for the last four years, Bob has sent me a text message without fail, letting me know that he's praying for me. And not just that he's praying for me, he inserts the prayer into the text. This man I met one time and I had coffee with one time. Brandon, what's the point? The point is this, Bob looks a lot like Jesus to me. The Bible says that Jesus is ever interceding for us, praying for us, Romans 8 and Hebrews 7. Bob looks a lot like Jesus. He's decided, it's evident to me that Bob's decided who Jesus is. He's decided to follow him, to learn from him, to look more like him, but for the sake of other people. And I'm one of those individuals. Number three, Jesus goes on. He says, let him deny himself. Let this person deny themselves. And we come to the elements of sacrifice at last. The idea is self-denial. It's not just giving something up. It's not denying something. It's not simply giving something up for Lent. See, Lent is so much deeper than that, church. It's actually self Denial. That word denial means to disown, to, de to deny, to repudiate. And friends, in every way, this flies in the face of our culture today. That beckons us not to say no to ourselves, rather to say yes to ourselves at every turn. Let me ask you a question. Just answer this in your heart. When is the last time you said no to yourself? To a craving, to a desire, to a habit? to an addiction. I think about the times that Jesus said no to sleep, to food, to popularity, to comfort, all for my sake, for your sake. And thank God he did. In fact, isn't self-denial at the very core of the salvation story? Jesus, Jesus demonstrating self-denial all the way culminating at the greatest representation of self-denial, the cross. There's a story of a U.S. troop carrier called the Dorchester on February 3rd, 1943. It was targeted by a German torpedo and the torpedo actually hit the ship. 
Out of the 902 on board, only 230 survived, and those who survived largely credited four chaplains on board the ship. Lieutenant George Fox, a Methodist, not the George Fox, another George Fox. Lieutenant Alexander Good, a Jewish rabbi. Lieutenant John Washington, a Roman Catholic priest. And Lieutenant uh, Clark Poling, a Dutch reform minister. I bet they had some wonderful conversations about God. They were found calming passengers, praying with them, directing them. And when it became evident that the, church, uh, that the ship was going to sink, it was beginning to tilt, they opened up lockers and people lined up and they handed out, these chaplains handed out life preservers. And when they were out of life preservers and there was still a line to a man, each one of them took their own preserver off their body and handed it to the next person in line. Those watching from the lifeboats said that they saw the chaplains linked arm in arm praying and singing hymns, holding onto the rail as the, as the ship continued to tilt. One of the survivors said it this way, it was the finest thing I've ever seen or hope to see this side of heaven. Self-denial, friends. Jesus goes on, he says, take up his cross daily. Take up his cross daily. Uh, maybe you've heard the figure of speech. It's just my cross to bear. You know, I'm, I'm married to him. It's just my cross to bear. You know, I'm married to her. Again, it's, it's my cross to bear. It's not easy being a genius. It's my cross to bear. <laughs> that is not what Jesus is referring to here. Remember, this is before Jesus went to the cross. But when he said, take up your cross, his disciples knew exactly what he was talking about. Roman crucifixion was alive and well, even before Jesus went to the cross. In fact, it's, it's why that was chosen as the instrument of death, likely in Jesus's sacrifice for us. Just before Jesus, there was a guy named Judas, the Galilean. He, um, history tells us or points to the idea that he led a rebellion against the Roman government and uh, Rome cracked down hard. And uh, it would, it, it, again, history points to the idea that some 2000 rebels were slain on crosses and the streets were lined with their bodies. Can you imagine the stench, the sight, the warning that that would issue? The disciples knew exactly the imagery, this instrument of death that Jesus was talking about when he said it. The disciples knew that in those days when someone was crucified on the cross, they would generally only carry one bar of the cross on their back. The other bar was at the place of crucifixion. In other words, it's a one-way trip. You're not coming back. There's no turning back. Luke's account, another reason I chose Luke's account is he's the only gospel writer who inserts this little word daily, to take up your cross daily and follow after me. The apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. Well, Pastor Brandon, how do we die and yet follow? You know, how do we die and yet live? I think about the Apostle Paul again in Galatians 2.20. I think he said it well, said it best. For I've been crucified with Christ. That instrument of death, I've been crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Church, what does this mean to pick up your cross daily and follow him? to follow Jesus. You, you, you know, you could go to YouTube and find a hundred, probably a thousand different pastors that will tell you exactly what they think it means for your life. And I don't want to pretend to know all the mysteries of what Jesus is talking about here, but I think at the very least, it points to this idea of, of, of the sacrificial living of the Christ follower. To live our lives in such a way 
that we're willing to, based on our loyalty to Jesus, to suffer, to face rejection and misunderstanding when and if needed. Jesus ends this way. He says, and follow me. This grand invitation to come away and follow me. The invitation isn't to prayer. It's not to the spiritual disciplines to begin with. It's to take a step and follow Jesus. What did Jesus say to Matthew, the tax collector? Come follow me. Leave that tax booth, take a step and follow me. Learn from me. Allow me to change you for the sake of other people. Cove Church, there's a probing summary in all of this. Jesus is not actually done with his thought in verse 23. He goes on to verse 24 and 25, and he says this, for, in other words, therefore, because of this, in light of this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Listen to it in the message. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? Friends, let me suggest our big idea for today based on this context of verses 23, 24, and 25. What Jesus, I think, is after at his core The kingdom life is not necessarily about letting go of passions or possessions. It's about pursuit. I think Jesus is is talking about pursuit. If you're going to come after me, if you're going to pursue me, this is what it's going to cost. You can pursue those other things to your demise. Or you can pursue me and come after me to life. When When I pray, when I lay something down for Lent, again, I'm choosing Jesus. When I give up time to pray, I'm choosing to pursue Jesus. When I give to the poor, I'm not just giving something up, I'm choosing pursuit toward Jesus. This is the idea of discipleship. And that's why I think those other verses surrounding, kind of those auxiliary verses that we read, that's why Jesus said, listen, if you don't pick up your cross daily, you're not worthy to be my disciple, to learn from me. So friends, let me ask you a question. What, or maybe... More importantly, who will you pursue? I want to leave you with this quote by the theologian Alexander Schmemann. In his book, Great Lent, he writes this, Let us stress once more that the purpose of Lent is not to force on us a few formal obligations, but to soften our hearts so that it may open itself to the realities of the Spirit. Listen to him, to experience the hidden thirst and hunger for communion with God. You hear the pursuit, Cove Church. Listen to that again. To experience the hidden thirst and hunger for communion with God. So no fine print, no guessing. A simple invitation to come away with Jesus, to pursue him, to lay down your life, to find it. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for those tuning in. Thank you for Cove Church. Lord, thank you that there is no fine print here. We don't have to get our magnifying glass out. There's no no, uh, confusing language. We don't have to read between the lines. You let us know there's an invitation to follow you. You let us know what it will cost, but what we will find 
in the process. Would you give us all the courage? Jesus, would you give us all the courage to take a step and follow you? In fact, I just have a nudge to pray for those and extend an invitation to those listening online. If you would say, you know what, Pastor Brandon, for the very first time today, I wanna cross the line of faith. I, like Matthew, I, I'm willing to take a, a step away from my tax collector's booth and, and to begin to follow Jesus, to respond to that invitation to come away with me, to follow me, to learn from me that Jesus is giving you today. If that's you, I wanna encourage you to click. Uh, there, there's a little, I raise my hand to, you know, to follow Jesus kind of down in the lower corner of the screen. Would you click that? We'd love to pray with you. In fact, I wanna pray with you now and just maybe so you can hear the sound of your own voice. Would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I choose to follow you today. I wanna learn from you and not just learn about you, but I wanna be more like you for the sake of other people. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Forgive me for my sin. I choose you today, to follow you today, to deny myself, to take up my cross, teach me what that means. I'm excited to find new life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Bless you, Cove Church. Have a great day.